Listen, I want to share a message um, that would have been timely for last week, uh, but we have to finish part four of the goodness of God. And uh, so please excuse the timing on this message. It's just one week late, but it's better late than never, right? Come on. And, and so the title of my message is now what? And this will make sense to you in just a couple minutes. But uh, last week was Pentecost. And uh, we, we, we kind of err on the side of Pentecostalism. Is that, I don't even know if that's a word, but it is now. Kind of flowed right off the tongue there nicely. And Pentecost is a celebration and the remembrance and commemorating when the Holy Spirit came upon those apostles and endued them with power for the assignments. And it's a reminder that when Pentecost happens, it continues to happen. It wasn't just a one-time deal. And we can experience that Pentecost in our life. And so I want to just take a quick look at, at what happened and what it means for us. Really what it means for us, because at the end of the day, um, I celebrate and I love when, when others are being blessed and God is moving in them and through them and for them. Um, but I also want a piece of the pie. Do you know what I'm saying? I want to be used by God. And, and, and I want God to work through me, and I want him to work in me, and, 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 and I want him to be all around me, and, and everywhere I go, I want to be a blessing. And, and uh, so I, I really want to dig into this. What does this mean for us? And we're going to pick up this story in Acts chapter 2, and uh, i got a couple verses I'm going to read to you. But Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 1 to 13, let's go. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, And they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the full house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitudes came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in their own language. How cool is that? Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And now it is that we hear each of our own language in which we were born. This is the tough part. So, you know, the same grace you extended to Melissa, extend to me, okay, right now? Watch this pronunciation. Parthians and Medes and Elamites. How am I doing, Adam? Okay. It's like high school all over again. Dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia. Phrygia. Okay, this is like an English test here. Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Look at this. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? And then others mocking said, they are full of new wines. There's always going to be the critics, my friends. If you think that you are immune to critics and criticism, the apostles weren't. Jesus wasn't, so I don't know what makes you special. Maybe it's what you put in the coffee in the morning. I don't know what it is, but here's what I found, is that every time we go to do something good for God, there's always going to be those trying to mock us from the sidelines. 
So after Jesus was crucified, he hung around. He was raised from the dead, and he hung around for 40 more days, teaching his much-loved disciples many things. And John wrote about a few of the things that he did. When he said in John 21, he said, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Now, I've read some biographies. One of my favorites, Pastor Adam talked about this just a while ago, was Reinhard Bonnke's biography. Now, if you don't know Reinhard Bonnke, uh, you can look him up, but that man lived a life. He's left behind a legacy so amazing, and, and, and his book is about this big. I'm not joking. I have one in my office. It's a signed copy. I got to meet him. It was one of the highlights of my life. And I remember what he used to say all the time. He used to go like this, and he had the most peculiar accent, but he said, why do you want to purr like a kitten when you were meant to roar like a lion? And every time he said it, I got gooseies. You know what gooseies are? Goosebumps, I, I, I'd get gooseies. And, 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 and I read about the autobiography, and he did a lot of things, my friends. And his book was only this big. But about the life of Jesus, John supposes that there wouldn't be enough room in all of the earth to contain books written about the life of Jesus. Now, I don't know what else he said and what he did, but this I know, it changed the lives of those men. Before the 40 days, they were cowards. And after the 40 days, they were courageous. Before the 40 days, they were selfish but after those 40 days, they were spiritual. Before the 40 days, their lives were frustrating and chaotic. But after the 40 days, their lives were focused and they were centered. Before the 40 days, they were saved. But after the 40 days, they were also sanctified. And look at this. Before the 40 days, they had a Savior. But after the 40 days, they had the Spirit. What made the difference, my friends, it's exactly who's been moving along this whole morning with us is the Holy Spirit. And before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said in Acts 1, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Wow. And they did. And you know what happens? They were spectacularly filled. So there could be no doubt the Holy Spirit came with a sound of a great rushing wind. Now, I really didn't understand this until just a couple weeks ago. When I was curious, we were hiding in the basement during the storm of the century. Melissa looked out. She saw what the weather was looking like. She says, I've seen this kind of weather. I think it's best that we get to the basement. And so I went to the basement. And I was tapping my feet, and I was too curious. I had to go see. I felt the house shaking. There was stuff rattling outside. We have a sign that says, welcome on our door. It's very beautiful. I didn't want to lose it. So I did what any brave man and curious man and, um, you know, stubborn man would do. I went upstairs, and I opened the door. And the minute I opened the door, there was a mighty rushing wind. <laughs> it was powerful. It was. Like, I, I'm literally not trying to be funny right now, just for the record. <laughs> but trees were knocked over. Things were displaced. They created a lot of damage. And here's what I really kind of took to heart. 
is I'm wondering if it was the same kind of force that happened on that day. The mighty Russian, uh, listen, I opened that door and all of a sudden I had a greater respect. When I get that little beep, beep, beep on my phone now, I don't mess around. I go straight downstairs. I find a door frame, right? We're there together. But it's a rushing wind, a mighty rushing wind. This is the picture that they're trying to paint for us to see what actually happened. It was a great Russian wind, and a ball of fire descended into the room. Think about this. Have you ever seen a ball of fire? I've seen a ball of fire. lit a soccer ball once with a bunch of gasoline. That was exciting. <laughs> but it descended. It had control. And as it got down, it separated into tongues of fire. Can you imagine being in that room, like, scared, slightly confused, excited, enthusiastic. Is this what Jesus was talking about? Is this what's going to, this had not happened before. There was, there was no measure for this. There was, there was no, like, we couldn't Google what happens when the ball of fire descends. We couldn't do that. They had to just be in the moment and immerse themselves there and trust that what was happening was of the Lord. And it separated into tongues of fire and came and rested on each of them. And then they began to speak in other languages. Languages that they had never heard, that they were never exposed to. I mean, I've been exposed to French and all my French. You are so gracious to me and I love you and you encourage me. But we all know my French is not that great. I make it look good, but it's not that great. You'll, you'll understand after, bonjour, ça va bien? Oui, et toi? Oh, ça va très bien, merci. After that, it kind of just... Goes uh, and I start talking Franklish. It's English. It's French. It's confusing. But they all just smile at me and say, "Bo, say, Bo, Brian, continue." Yeah, we. Oui. <laughs> I love it, right? But without any sort of education, they start speaking in other languages. What did it all mean? And here's what I think it meant: the sound of the rushing wind, or as the NIV puts it, a violent wind represented the power of the Holy Spirit. I knew that wind could be powerful, but as I took a drive through the country a few weeks ago, I realized just how powerful it was. And as bad as it was, there are stronger storms than that that happen. The fire represented the purifying nature of the Holy Spirit. The miracle of speaking in unknown languages represented the universality of the gift in other words, the Holy Spirit is a gift for all people, not just a few selects. Not just the Jews, but all who believe by faith may receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so these people in the upper room met the criteria for receiving the Holy Spirit, which was laid out in Acts 2. It says, they believed, they repented, and they had been baptized. And they were living in obedience. You see, the gift of the Holy Spirit is for believers, but more than that, it really is for obedient believers. And I think that the Holy Spirit works in each of our lives, even before we were saved. How many people, as you look back at your life before you accepted Jesus, right, you look back and you're like, oh, Lord, that is so clearly your hand on my life right there. Lord, that is your grace. That was a bad situation. That was a poor choice on my part. And, Lord, somehow, somehow you redeemed it. And so I think that the Holy Spirit works in each of us in our lives even before we're saved to a certain extent. He convicts us of sin, which is so beautiful. He, he leads us to righteousness after we accept Jesus as our Savior, and the Holy Spirit teaches 
and reveals God's will to us. But listen to this. But you will never receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit until you surrender completely to him. And that's what I want to get at today. You will never know the fullness of the gifts until you come in total obedience to his known will for your life. You see, the Holy Spirit's purpose is to teach us, to guide us, to comfort us, to lead us, to bring wisdom to us. And if you are unteachable, if you won't follow him, then how can he do his job? He can't. And so until we rid ourselves of all of our selfishness and rebellion, we understand that we continue just to quench the Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be someone who quenches the Spirit. I don't. I've been to places where the Spirit is moving, and I've been to places where the Spirit is quenched. And I'll tell you, where the Spirit is moving, there's freedom, and there's liberty, and there is joy, and there is strength, and there are miracles, and there are breakthroughs and turnarounds. Wow. So the Holy Spirit, don't worry, it's, it's going to come up. It's, it's a little quiet in this Pentecostal church this morning. It's like, whoa, tell us another joke, Brian. It'll be fun. Don't worry, it's coming. It's all right. So before you can possess this gift, the gift has to possess you. That's what it is. That's what it's all about. You have to be teachable and coachable and willing to follow uh, anywhere and obey anything that the Lord asks you to do. And if you're willing to do that, then you will receive and operate this gift for power to do his will and for purifying your life. Now look, after Jesus ascended up into heaven, the disciples locked themselves into an upper room and began to pray. Have you ever just had to lock yourself in a room and begin to pray? Yeah, I'm finding more and more of that with my toddler. Daddy just needs a minute. Yeah, Daddy just needs a minute. No, he's great. But sometimes you just need a minute. Sometimes you park your truck in visitors and you just need a minute. Weird. I parked that truck there every single day and say hi to them and they had nothing to say to me. People, man. Don't worry, I diffused the situation. I took care of it. But as Jesus ascended up to heaven, his disciples locked themselves in that upper room and they began to pray. They didn't witness. They didn't preach. They didn't teach. They didn't do anything but pray. And I want you to take note of this. And if you have not received the Holy Spirit, then that's what we need to do. Pray until you have emptied yourself of yourself and pray until all of you have surrendered totally to God. And pray until the Holy Spirit falls on you. And guess what? You will know when this happens. You will know. There's this beautiful crossing over where we go from being in the natural and receiving the Holy Spirit into our lives and upon our lives. And we step into the supernatural. And I am telling you, it is night and day. It is a completely different ball game. I can remember when I was baptized with the Holy Spirit. I was about 17 years old. I had been attending my Pentecostal church, which, by the way, spoke tongues before, during, and after, right? Like, there was no shame in the game, man. Whenever you felt like just going, you could just do it. It was liberty. So I'd hear this all the time, and I was asking the Lord, do this, and people would pray for me and all this kind of stuff. And it wasn't until one day that I was praying desperately. You ever get desperate in your prayer? 
I mean, I was praying desperately for a friend of mine to receive the salvation. They were in a world of hurt, in a world of trouble, and I knew that the only answer that was going to solve that emptiness inside of them was that Holy Spirit coming upon their life. And I knew, and so I began to pray. And as I began to pray, I really just emptied everything I had, you know, Everything I had in my repertoire, I was throwing out in prayer. I mean, I was just going for it in my English language. I might have even thrown some French words in there just to make sure that the Lord understood. Uh, and, and I was going for it. And at one point, I stepped out of the natural, whoo, right into the supernatural. And I went from praying in English to all of a sudden feeling a thousand feet tall, praying in the spirit and language I had never heard before. And I am telling you, the foundations of my house was shaking. And I realized, whoa, there is so much more available to us as believers than we ever even recognize. And I have never looked back. Because when I try to do things in my natural ability, I can get to a certain point. But it was as if I had prayed everything that I could pray in English, and it's almost like I made it to the on-ramp of the highway. You know what I'm saying? You're all so calm. You drive here. You go through the little roundabout. You're putt-putting. But when you get on that highway, it is game over. You drop the pedal to the metal, and it doesn't matter if it's Granny Susie beside you. You are racing for first place. And that's how I felt inside. I had felt like I had been driving a jalopy, and all of a sudden they put me into something that shouldn't have been street legal, and I took off like a blast of a rocket. And all of a sudden, gifts started being developed inside of me that I had never known before. Why? Because I had just given myself. I had emptied myself. I said, Lord, just use me whatever way. If it's prayer, I'll pray. If it's serving, I'll serve. If you want me to hold the door open, I'll hold the door open. But I'm going to do it with the anointing of God upon my life. Because when we try in our natural ability, my friends, we can do all right, but I don't know about you, life is too short just to be all right. I want to step into the supernatural things of God for my life. I want to see miracles happen around me and for me and through me. I want to see the hand of God upon our lives operating in a way that we've never seen it before. I want to see the young people of Capital City Church speaking such wisdom in this crazy world that people stop and listen to them. I want to see the old people running the race of the Lord before them, realizing it ain't over. It ain't over. If you got breath in your lungs, it ain't over. And even if you don't have breath in your lungs, it still ain't over. Because it's graduation day. And so I don't know about you, but I get fired up when I think about Pentecost. And I gotta, I'm going to have a moment of confession right here. I have never really paid attention to, like, Christian holidays or, or, or celebrations until I really started hanging around Pastor Adam. He'd come to me today and tomorrow, and did you know that today is such and such? And I was like, oh, yeah, great. As soon as he leave my office, I was Googling it. What does this mean? So I'd come back, and I would talk a little bit with him to seem like I was educated. He's like, oh, yeah, so the, you know, yeah, okay, right, right. But last week, he, he fired me up with a text. He says, man, we're talking about the goodness of God, and it's Pentecost. And if you know Pastor Adam, he loves his emojis. I got about 16 fires, and I felt the pressure. And all of a sudden, I said, Lord, it's not about me. It's all about you. Just use me. Use me. That's all it comes down to. That I'm just willing to be silly and, and do whatever he leads me to do. 
Father, use us, I pray, in the name of Jesus. And so I can imagine, I can imagine this. I, I, like, I put myself in that room. Like, I, like, I'm always one of those guys when people say, would you bow your head for a second? I go like this. Because I got to know what's going on, right? What's happening? Every eye closed. Every head bowed. I got to know what's going on. And so I put myself into that situation, and I'm thinking to myself, how would I react if all of a sudden the sound of a rushing wind came through the room and a ball of fire descended and broke off into tongues and everyone started speaking languages? Would I be, like, slowly backing up to the door, being like, woo-hoo, didn't sign up for this? Or would I just jump right into the middle of it? I try to imagine all the different scenarios, what would play out that day. But here's one thing I know for sure that I would do. After that, and every, after everything settled and calmed down a little bit, I think the first thing that I would do is I would ask, now what? Now what? What do we do with this? Because here's the thing. I've seen the Lord move on people's life time and time and time again. And I'm talking about miraculous things, things that just don't make any sort of natural sense, that it could only be the hand of the Lord. And here's what I think sometimes we have failed to do. We love that moment, but maybe sometimes we just fail to say, now what? Lord, what do I do with this? Lord, how do I activate this into my life? How, how do I take what you've done and how do I broadcast it so that others can know? Lord, how do I take what you've done and apply it into my nine-to-five grind so that I'm not just a paper pusher, Lord, but I am an agent of the Most High God on mission? How do I take this, Lord, apply it into my family? How do I take this, Lord, and apply it with my children, Lord? How do I do this? How do I apply it into my fine? How do I apply it, Lord, into my body that may need a little touch today? How? And so now what I've started doing is whenever something amazing happens in my life, whenever the Lord moves in a drastic way, one of the first things I do is I, 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 I celebrate it, I thank God for it, I rejoice in it, I thank him, I worship, I, I, I keep that heart of gratitude going, but then I just quietly take a step back and I say, now what? Lord, what's next? What do I do with this? Because sometimes I have been so guilty of living those high moments with the Lord and then failing to recognize that it wasn't just for a moment, but it was supposed to be for a lifetime. It wasn't just for that show and tell, but it was so that it could get deep inside of me so that it could become part of who I am. And so I started recognizing, Lord, one of the most important questions that I can ask is, now what? And so the disciples gave us this example. In Acts 2, 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so, you know, sometimes you're reading a scripture, and I was reading about the Pentecost last week, and this scripture just jumped off. And it's as if they answered my question. I said, now what, Lord? What, what do we do with Pentecost? What do we do with the infilling of the Holy Spirit upon our lives? And this is what I read, and I was like, why am I always looking for something so crazy deep that sometimes I miss just such the simple things in the words? And so this happens, and then look what they did immediately following when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're taking notes, number one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, I believe that they studied Scripture. Because I don't know about you, but when the Holy Spirit comes upon my life, I'm smarter than I used to be. 
One of the ways that all of a sudden I know Holy Spirit is working through me is because wisdom is flowing through my lips. If you spend just a few minutes with me, you'll realize that when I'm speaking wisdom, that's the Holy Spirit. I have good ideas. Sometimes I even have great ideas. But what I'm waiting for are the God ideas. That's the ones that I know I'm waiting on. And so they devoted themselves. What did they devote themselves to? Well, Scripture, and they studied everything that the apostles were telling them. And I think that the means for us is this, is that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're given an insatiable hunger to know God and for God's Word. And I don't know about you, but like me, I, I shared this just a couple of weeks ago. When I got saved at 16, I was so hungry for the things of God. Like, like it, 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 it was wild. It, 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 like, I wanted everything that God had. It didn't matter. Like, at the church that we were at, they did, very, they did like, the, the, the general altar call. If you need Jesus, raise your hand. Bow your heads. Right? Coming back. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. I want to know who needs Jesus today. Right? They would say that. But then they would do a very specific altar call with the message that they had preached. And sometimes it was for ladies, and sometimes it was for men, and sometimes it was for particular issues. Listen, it did not matter what that altar call was. There was no way the ushers were stopping me from getting prayer that day because I was hungry. And when you're hungry, you become desperate. And when you're desperate, you'll do things that you won't do when you're filled and full. And so all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And what happens? He gives us this hunger. And if you're lacking hunger in your life right now, then I think it's time to step back into the Spirit because chances are we might be working in the natural right now. So we can step back into the spiritual, the supernatural, and tap into his power and say, Lord, create in me this hunger. Create in me this hunger. Listen, Melissa alluded to this earlier. What if you did open your fridge and there really wasn't much? I'm going to tell you something. When I'm hungry, I can make food out of anything. I can make a sandwich out of an apple. I, listen, I can get so creative. You can ask my wife. Sometimes I look at it, I'm like, oh, we got to do groceries. And I kind of let this. Got it. I'll be back in an hour. And I come back and we sit down and we cooked a meal. And Melissa goes, this is really good. What is it? I have no clue. Whatever was in the fridge. Right? Because when you're desperate, you'll go and do things that you never wanted to do before. When you're hungry, you, you, you will kick off all the hindrances. You can become desperate. And that's what I really feel happened with the early church. And I think that's what we need back into the church, a little desperation, a little hunger for the things of God, a little, a little hunger for his word, getting back to what we know is right. So this doesn't mean that um, this feeling will last forever. You know how it is. You're, you get saved, you're hungry, you're hungry, you're hungry. And then people, you know, the, the critics and this and that and life, and, and all of a sudden maybe you just get a little less hungry, just a little less hungry. Doesn't mean that the feeling lasts forever, but here's the good news. Feelings come and go, but spiritually, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will continue to always desire to know and to do the will of God. Wow. We just need discipline ourselves. That's what it comes down to, and we don't like that word today. Discipline. It's not a word that is commonly used anymore, accepted anymore. We just do what you want. Hey, Matthew, do what you want, man. It's cool. Whatever. It's all good. This is the society that we live in right? But discipline seems to be a lost art. But here's the thing. I know this. When we discipline ourselves, we tap into the reserves of heaven that are available for here on this earth. Sometimes we just need to discipline ourselves to study God's word and discipline ourselves to seek his will for our lives. And sometimes it can be a painful process, but it's worth it. Anything that's worth it is worth the pain. We know this. 
We've seen it. It's, it, it's exemplified in everyday things. But when the Holy Spirit reveals through his word, his will to you, we strive to walk in it with help. You can do this, okay? Number two, they devoted themselves to fellowship. What a novel idea. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Here's what I've learned in Christianity. There's no Lone Ranger. It doesn't exist. And if you want to be a Lone Ranger in Christianity, guess what? The enemy is going to eventually overtake you. That's just the way that it is. In, in, in all of the wilderness out there, the ones that don't do the best are the ones that don't operate in a pack. And it's the same thing in Christianity. Those that want to just hide themselves away, not be a part of anything, just kind of maybe check off the little duty, I went to church, I did this, whatever, and they don't want to fellowship with people, and they don't want to get to know people, and for whatever reason is, maybe they're embarrassed of their past life, maybe they don't want you to know a certain side of them, whatever it is, they just don't want to be part of fellowship. That lone ranger, my friend, eventually gets taken out. Take it from experience. Take it from experience. Anytime anything uncomfortable would happen in my life, my way to deal with it, was not, you know, we have a couple responses, whether it was fight or flight or fright, right? And, and my response was always just a flight. I'm out of here. This is too crazy for me. See you in there. Bye. I'll just isolate myself, tuck myself into the ground. When everything's cool, I'll just pop up. Okay, good. Move on with life. But I learned that that's not a good way to live life. I learned that that's not a holy way to live life. That's not a good way to live life because every time I would do that and isolate myself, the enemy would just keep packing on more stuff to the point where I was overburdened. And I wanted to talk someone, but the devil had isolated me. Hebrews 10 says this, And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of the return is drawing near. Especially now. When's a good time to encourage one another? Especially now. With everything that's going on, I could especially use some encouragement. You can especially use some encouragement. You could afford for someone to come up to, to you and tell you, I don't know if you've heard this, but I want to let you know, I think you're all right. I think you're doing a good job. I think you're pursuing the things of God, and I know that he's going to use you. So just keep it up. Just continue going for it. Don't give in. Don't give up. I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. I'm behind you. I got your back. What do you need? What resources? How can I support you? How can I help you? Can you imagine a church that this is our motto? That we're all looking out for one another? That's what it's all about. And so they fellowship. They understood the importance of getting together. In the early church, it was policy that everybody go by twos. Look at, look at this. It was policy. You see Paul partnering with Timothy, right? You, you, you see Peter partnering with John. You see Barnabas with Silas and, and so on. And the list goes on and on and on. And even when Jesus sent them out, he sent them out two by twos because he understood fellowship. He understood strength in numbers. He understood that if I'm feeling down, my partner can raise me up. He can build me up. He can say, you got this, dude. Don't worry about it. Twos. Babe, don't worry about those crazy people that complain about visitor parking. They ain't got nothing better to do. They're frustrated. They sit around and chit-chat, and as they chit-chat, the frustration just builds. Don't worry about it. I've got enough credit on that street. I got street credit. I have, I, listen, I could run for mayor of my street, and I would win by a landslide. I have built enough credit up with all of my neighbors, right? Don't worry about it, babe. We got this. It's okay. Don't let crazy people doing crazy things make you crazy, because you're crazy if you do. Right? 
Fellowship with those who are going to build you up. Don't join, don't, babe, don't join them for wine hour because you're just going to start complaining about people parking visitors. I pay for that visitor. I'm done. Lord, I let it go. I release it. It's not good for me. I think it would be good for us to have a partner in ministry. Here's the thing that I know, and, and I can't really say this about women, but I can say this about men, is that there is an assignment against us to get us isolated. That you're the man. You can do this on your own. You don't need nobody. That's the first thought that comes into your head when your wife buys something from Ikea. <laughs> I'm a man. I got this. I don't need nobody. And you quickly realize with that silly little drawing with a guy with a really big nose, you need help. Or you end up with screw marks and nail marks in the front of your child's dresser. Babe comes in. You need help? I got this. I'm okay. <laughs> um, so, honey, I put a couple holes in the front of that dresser. <laughs> just reminds me. Every time I go to change his diaper, put him down to bed, and I see those holes, it just reminds me. It's okay to ask for help, Brian. <laughs> Actually, it's healthy. Actually, it's biblical. It is. It is biblical. It's biblical, right? I was so happy when the storm hit that people were reaching out, we need help. I, like, you can ask Pastor, I was so delighted. I was like, yes, this is what it's about. I don't want people suffering silently. I don't want to find out that down the road we missed it or we blew it because, we, you know, I, I was like, yes, they're asking for help. We rushed into the rescue and did what we could do and helped in any way that we could help. And it was fun. It's building fellowship, right? Ecclesiastes 4 says this, two people are better than one, where they can help each other. Uh, come on, I, we need help. If one person fails, the other can reach out for help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can't be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. You, your ministry partner, and the Holy Ghost. Woo! Come on, you are unstoppable. Wow. You know what my favorite part of any movie is? I, I was a big uh, action uh, movie junkie back in the day. When, whenever the good people were outnumbered, you, like it's always the finale of the movie. It's always the same, and it still gets me every time. Right? They're surrounded. They're outgunned. They're outnumbered. They're checking their clips. I've only got two, blah, blah, blah. And they always square up back to back. And it's the most epic scenes ever because they're like, pew, 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 pew. I don't know what they're doing. They only had two bullets, but now they've got 14. <laughs> the Lord provides in mysterious ways. I don't know. But I love it because all of a sudden, two together in one accord take out a team that are fully loaded and fully stocked. And every time I see that, it just reminds me that it's okay to have people in my corner who have my back. Because if ever I find myself getting outnumbered by the enemy, I can just square up and make sure that my partner in crime over here has my back. They're looking that way. I'm looking this way. We both got 180. We're doing the, the, the cool turn, the slow turn. Come on. Listen, this is what life's all about, fellowship. There is strength in numbers Matthew 18 says this, For there where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Even Jesus puts it out. Listen, I don't want you to be a Lone Ranger. Where two or three are gathered, that's where I'll be. I'll be right in the midst of that. 
I'll be right in the middle of that. That's where my anointing flows best. That's where my power operates at best is when we're in numbers. And so the Holy Spirit falls upon the apostles and the disciples. And all of a sudden they develop this strong sense of how important fellowship is. Why do you think Jesus numbered two or three? I think it's because he knew that we needed the support, encouragement, and accountability from a mentor or a spiritual partner. So we're never created to be these lone rangers or these solitary warriors. We're vulnerable when we're alone. Satan is just looking for people who are alone. This is M.O. Goes around, roaring like a lion, looking. Just always looking. Always looking. You know what, lions? They always go for the one who has been separated. Right? And half the time when that happens, why are they separated? Because they're weak or they're sick. And so it's no different with us. When we're feeling down, it's not time to retreat. It's time to congregate. It's time to get together. It's time to show up to a prayer meeting. It's time to let somebody know in your circle, listen, I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time. This is what's going on in my life. Would you pray for me? Would you agree with me? This is okay. Not only is it okay, it's encouraged. Society tells us, no, figure it out yourself. The Bible says, no, don't figure it out yourself. That's dangerous. Not cool. Wasn't designed that way. Get around some people that you love and trust and are for you and not against you who have your best interest at heart who will actually put you first. Get around those people because those people are going to have your back. Those people are going to make sure that you succeed come hell or high water. Those people are going to be pushing you when you've got nothing left to give. My wife and I work out from time to time, and, 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 and sometimes I'm, I'm in the back, and she's in the front. We watch her TV. We do a whole program, and sometimes I will admit I start slacking. It's just, oh, I can't do this. It's a oh, oh, 40. I eat too many burgers. I can't do this. And she'll look back at me. Come on, let's go. Right? She pushes me past my point of what I think I can bear. And you know what happens? Every week gets easier. I don't have to slack as much. Because every week she told me, she told me, just listen. Number three, they devoted themselves to the act of breaking bread together. Now this would seemingly be kind of the same as fellowship. But I looked up that act of uh, breaking bread in a couple different commentaries. Um, and, and here's what I felt. There was not much help as to what that distinctly meant at that time. But here it is. They all pretty much said the same thing. It wasn't known if the scripture referred to partaking in the Lord's Supper or if it meant that they were just having meals together. But most agree it was probably both. <clears throat> I'm for spiritualizing potluck dinners, man. Potlucks, I'm in. You have a potluck? Just invite me. I'll show up. I'll bring something good. It'll be fine. But seriously, there's something special that happens when we eat together. It's the act of bonding, the act of giving and receiving and making ourselves vulnerable when that happens, when we dine together. Why do you think that when we're trying to get to know somebody, we ask them out to dinner, right? Because there's something spiritual that, that happens at that moment where you let your guard down and, 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 and you get to know people on this level that you just couldn't get to know at a coffee shop or a movie or this or that or whatever. So all you single ladies and all you single gents, if you want to change your scenario, just get the Holy Spirit upon your life and ask someone to break bread with you and see what happens. 
You come to church and you get some dating advice. All you married folks, this is for you too. You can ask your significant other to go break bread. That's all right. Gentlemen, your wife will probably be happy about that. They're probably, oh, date night. She goes into her closet. I don't have nothing to wear. <laughs> yes, you do. My wife said so. Wow. How did we get here? Now what? Let me bring it back to spiritual here. Revelations 3. Here's Jesus saying, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and what? Eat with that person. This is special to Jesus. There is intimacy in eating with one another. There is a very valuable in relationships. It, it, it's still a big deal in the Middle East. Listen, in the Middle East, to host or to attend a meal that you've been invited to is, 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 is massive. It's not just like a couple of chicken nuggets and a, and a bubbly. It's, it's the acceptance of the base level of who that person is. That's why every time Jesus said, yeah, I'll come to your house, people were shocked. You're accepting me on the base level of who I am. And most of the time, the base level of who that person was didn't fit in at the time with the social norms of what was going on. And Jesus says, I'll come dine with you. What he was saying is, I'm not just going to come eat supper. I'm not just going to feed my face and take off. What he's saying is, I accept you at the base level of who you are and where you're at. Because eating in that culture was such an important thing. And if someone invited you over for dinner and you said no, it was like a slap in the face. You rejected them. You reject their name. You reject their family. You reject the blessing. And it was a blessing for them to be able to serve you. That's why they'd always fight of who would, who, whose house they would go to. Because they understood, come to my house, it's a blessing, it's a blessing, it's a blessing. They understood something very spiritual happened when they would fellowship together. And so after Pentecost, the early church broke bread faithfully. And I'm sure they remembered the Lord in the sacrament of communion. But I'm also sure that together, frequently, they just had a meal together. Wow. Number four, coming in for a landing here, Matthew, you can get going. They devoted themselves to prayer. Jesus taught us in the, in the Lord's Prayer that we are to pray daily. Give us this day our daily bread. Daily we're to pray. And then, then Paul took it up a notch and in Thessalonians told us to pray continually. Or there's another scripture that says pray always. Prayer needs to be a continuous part of our life. You know, some people get up early in the morning and spend the first and the best part of their day with Jesus while others pray before going to bed so that they can continue to commune with him. Some talk to God all day through the day at any time. And here's what I think. I don't think it matters so much when or how, but that you do it. Whatever works for you, you just make sure that you get into the habit of developing a good prayer life. This is what the disciples did after the Holy Spirit fell upon them. So it's no different for us. We need to learn how to talk with him better and walk with him better. The Holy Spirit will help us find the truth, and he will even help us pray. That's the awesome thing. He doesn't just leave us stranded. The Bible says he'll help us pray. When we don't know what to say, he'll help us. It's all right. And for some of you newer Christians, let me just tell you, I'm just going to be honest with you. When you start praying, it's awkward. You don't know, like, is this right? Is it not right? I don't know what to do. Like, how do, what, what, you know? And then I see you talking to other people and you're just so fluid with it. Just talk to him. 
Just share what's happening. Lord, I'm struggling today. Or, Lord, today was a really good day, and I want to thank you for it. And so many blessings were just surrounding me. And, and thank you for healing me here. And thank you for doing this. And, God, I'm so excited about what's going on. And would you just continue to use me as you see fit? Like, just, just share your heart with him. And it's no wonder the enemy attacks our prayer life so much. Because it's our source of connection. If I got married to my wife going on 13 years... And after we got married, I didn't say one word to her. How do you think that marriage would be going? <laughs> It'd probably be under a month. Right? And so let's not neglect our relationship with our Heavenly Father. You have all day to commune with Him. You have work time. You, you can mutter under your breath. You can shout in your car. But here's what I'm admonishing you to do. Just start building a prayer life. Why is it so simple? I'll tell you why. Because it's so effective. It's so effective. Lastly, this, they devoted themselves to spreading the good news of salvation to as many as possible. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And look at this. Why? What's the reason? Now what? I'll tell you now what. You will be my witness in Jerusalem and in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so really at the crux of it all, the primary reason for the Holy Spirit is to spread the news of Jesus. Some way, somehow, you need to allow Holy Spirit to accomplish that purpose in your life. T.L. Osborne says, everywhere you go, preach the gospel, and if you have to, use words. Every day, we should have moments where we're displaying or showing the goodness of God. Whether by our actions, whether by our deeds, whether by our words, we need to be displaying the goodness of God on this earth. Listen, I, I want you to begin to see yourself as a billboard. I want you to know that your life is a billboard. And each and every day, people are passing by. And I ask you this question, what kind of message are you delivering? Y'all see billboards up there? There's some creative ones on the highways. and Some of them get your attention and others are funny and others are just, you know, straight business. But here's what I want you to see today. You have the opportunity each and every day. You have a circle of influence that God has entrusted to you and to you alone. And your life becomes a billboard. Every day they see you. They see you when you don't have your coffee. They see you when you do have coffee. They see you when you have too much coffee. They see you when you're under stress. They see you when you're winning. Listen, people are judging us as much as how we handle victories as as we handle losses. They're watching us 24-7. They're just waiting, right? And here's what I want. Every time that people walk by my life and they see who I am, they see what I'm about, and they see the way that I handle things. And I had a wonderful opportunity right after these ladies tried to ruin our week. I had this beautiful opportunity. One of my neighbor's tree fell. It was over a little bit. And each time it rained, it was getting lower and lower. It was almost blocking half of the uh, street. And, and, and he didn't have the tools. And, and uh, you know me, I like tools. So I was like, came over and talked to him and said, hey, Max, uh, do you need some help with this tree? He's like, I've called the city. I've called the property management. Nobody wants to join. He said, would you be okay if I took care of it? He's like, yeah, absolutely. He says, yeah, just come knock on my door and find me and, 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 and we'll do it. I said, okay. So right after that situation with the ladies, that same day, I had a pounding headache. I was like, it was just, you know, I was going to just go lay down and just give in for a moment. 
I was like, I'm going to go cut that tree. And I cut that tree right into the back of my truck beautifully. Parked my truck back in visitors. Full of branches. Came out the next day. He comes over. He's like, wow, when did you do that? I said, I had a couple minutes, man. Why didn't you come get me? I was like, it was cool. I got it. You, you're working. I had some time. Don't worry about it. He's like, well, I'm going to get you back. Like, I don't know if it was a threat or a promise. I'm going to get you back. I said, bro, I don't do these things to get back. I just do these things because I'm just trying to be a decent human being. God has done a work in my life, and I just want to display that. So you don't owe me anything. I'm going to get you. I'm like, okay, well, if you're writing a check, just add a couple more zeros. Joking. You see, we have this opportunity each and every day that our life becomes a billboard. Every time I have the opportunity to bless someone, you can ask my wife. I'm like, babe, I'm going to get the car from visitors. I'm going to bring it back half an hour later. So where were you? Oh, I was talking to so-and-so. I was helping this. Oh, I was doing that. Why? I want my light to shine. I want to be a billboard. I want when people talk to me and know me and get to know me and see me, that they know that something has transpired in my life. I told my friend Max that I cut his tree down. I said, listen, this is what good neighbors do. We help one another. We have each other's back. That's what it is. I want my kid to grow up in a neighborhood that is safe. People love him. They cherish him. They, they see him growing. That's what I want for my family. So that's what I'm putting out there. I want my life to be a billboard. So after Pentecost, what now? Number one, devote yourself to studying God's word. Number two, fellowshipping with each other. If you're one that quickly takes off after a service, I dare you to stick around for a moment. Say hi to somebody that you never said hi to before. Or maybe say hi to someone that you said hi to a million times. Say, hey, grab a coffee, sit with me. You don't got to rush off. It's raining out there. You're going to get wet. Stick around. Have a coffee. It's on us. We're here for you. You fellowship. You break bread together. You pray. And then you begin to spread the good news of salvation from sin to anyone and anyone who will hear you out. And that's what you do now once you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And so if you've never received Jesus, I would say that that was step number one. If we're taking instructions from an Ikea booklet, step number one, receive Jesus. Nothing can be built into your life before you receive Jesus. And it's really simple. The Bible says if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. The gift of salvation is free does not cost you anything. You cannot buy it. You cannot earn it. I have tried every which way only to realize that it is a free gift from our loving Father to us. And all we got to do is receive it. And how do we receive it? We receive it by faith. So we're going to put a prayer on the back wall. I'm going to encourage you. If you never said this prayer, say it today. If you've said this a thousand times, but today you just know that you need this, you say this. You mean it. And you allow the Lord into your life. And then all of a sudden, at that given time, His Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will have your own Pentecost moment. And now what? Well, now you're equipped. Now you're ready to roll. Now you're ready to be successful for the kingdom of God. So let us say this prayer together. I would ask you to bow your heads and every eye closed, but then you wouldn't be able to read it. But let's read it. Let's mean it. Let's say, Jesus, thank you for paying the price for my salvation. I ask you to forgive me of every sin. I repent, and I'm purposing to change the way I think and live. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, help me learn about you and to grow in this kingdom lifestyle. I declare you're my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for receiving me. Amen.
And amen. So be it. If you said that prayer for the first time, I'm going to ask you to be brave. Let someone know. Someone sitting close to you, someone that brought you, you can let me know. Just tell someone. Let them know that you've made this decision to follow Jesus. And we'll do our best to support you, to come behind you, build you up, allow the work of the Spirit to continue in you and through you and for you. Amen.